Welcome back to Cyber Podcast, the podcast featuring Jonathan Moore, the Chief Technology Officer of Spider Oak. I'm Christian Whiten. Jonathan, there's been a lot in the news about uh, self-driving cars, electric cars. You know, we often think about Tesla, but there seems to be uh, an imminent mushrooming of either the big guys, GM, Toyota, Ford, getting into this business or alternatively small, sort of more boutique companies getting in and competing. But clearly, the market leader is, is Tesla. I think you may own one. I, I Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea that these actually may be subject to hacking, that's, you know, worst case scenario, you're driving down the road and um, someone, whether it's just a vandal or, um, you know, someone who's just uh, out to get you um, can cause an accident. Um, first of all, I, I guess starting with the basics, do you own a Tesla? I, I do. Um, I, I think uh, electric, electric cars are super convenient, and I've, I do own one. Yeah, yeah and it's I've only driven in uh, one twice, two different kinds, um, and and you know, setting aside whether you want an electric car for environmental reasons, just the amazing technology. Actually, I was in the first time I was in one was nearly five, six years ago. And I would have thought that by now, most of us would be driving in some sort of self-driving or almost self-driving car. Uh, you know, before we get to the security uh, issue, I guess it's a different security issue. It's amazing. I guess the main thing holding holding it back is that you have these incredibly innovative companies and technologies, but you're somewhat dependent on roads, which 90.99.9% are are maintained by government, uh, often local government. Uh, is that the right way to look at it? I mean, is this is what's is the holdup in in a major evolution in the way we get around day to day uh, the physical infrastructure, or is it really just sort of working out the software and sensors of the car? I mean, I, I think if what, you, if what you mean is like autonomous driving, um, I think the, the major hold up there is, is it's a challenging problem. I don't think it's, it's, you know, if you start to really pay attention to how you're making driving decisions and what you do, you realize, one, how, how dangerous a lot of the choices you make are, and, you know, two, how uh, randomly a lot of uh, road markings and stop signs and other cars behavior really kind of is like the, the, the as much as there's laws that regulate how things are supposed to be done there's a lot of history that clearly doesn't align with those laws um you know and uh, i think it's it's a challenging problem and i think a lot of companies making great progress it's really interesting to see when we think about vulnerability i, I guess the way to start thinking about it is where is the data um transmission biggest and and most uh, vulnerable um now these cars and, and whether we're talking tesla or others that will will seek to imitate um uh is it well, is it sort of updates coming overnight is it updating I, the systems on the car well i mean I think first we should take a step back right so i think that um there there's probably there's two or three different sort of questions here right uh which is you know one is the the safety of generally and vulnerabilities of the car that includes uh you know computers and electronic networks and this is not unique to Tesla's by at all you know all modern cars use uh CAN bus uh and there's another lower uh, bitrate bus they they use for moving packet data around the uh, car between the analog brakes and the analog braking system the infotainment center and other parts of the car, the door locks. So, you know, 
for you know decades now, our cars have been networks. Um, and so the question is, are you know has that increased the vulner uh, has that exposed you to risk and risk of attack? Whether that's somebody you know going in and plugging something into the CAN bus at the uh, you know brake system because the anti-lock brake system is connected to CAN bus on the exterior of the car, or whether that's some kind of connected car that has um, you know a radio in it and some sort of attack over the radio. And I think there is now a new class of attacks with these advanced driving assist systems and eventually autonomous systems where you can ask, uh, is the driving system robust against attacks performed on it in the environment? You know, could you do the classic, you know, uh, roadrunner where you, you know, wildy coyote roadrunner <laughs> where you move the, the dotted line in the road into the side of a wall where you painted a <laughs> uh, you know, a tunnel and have it crash right into it, right? You know, that's a sort of another class of attack. And people have demonstrated some of these where, you know, they demonstrated that some of these car cars, I think Tesla is the one they demonstrated on, but I believe other systems are also vulnerable, can't differentiate between images protect, projected on the road surface uh, and an actual thing in some of their earlier iterations. Um, you know, I, I it, it's, it's, it's a moving target all the time, so I can't say what the vulnerabilities are today. But you know, and can you? There's also been ones against you know for these systems that they were able to recognize a stop sign or a speed limit on the side of the road. Can you make subtle changes to that sign so that the car will misrecognize it, even though a person wouldn't notice? You know, people put stickers on stop signs all the time. Maybe with a careful placement of the correct sticker, I can confuse this car to make it think it's not a stop sign. Um, you know, because in general, these vision systems see the world very differently than we do. There's a whole era, area of research of adversarial perturbations, uh, where you change images to trick a classifier into misclassifying images. Um, and so there's a whole field of research around that. So again, I think there's really three areas to talk about, right? There is, do, does adding computers to the car and networks to the car increase vulnerabilities? And what and how is it? Does adding you know packet networks, radio networks to the car, radio packet networks to the car, how does that change your exposure? And then do you you know what is the increased exposure of autonomous or semi-autonomous driving systems um, to you know sort of an adversarial environment? I think that would be kind of the way I would break down the world myself. You know. Interesting. And as a, a program note, I should tell listeners that Jonathan is stroking a black cat as he as he as he says this, like a Bond villain talking about breaking into computers. <laughs> um, well, that's it. So, um, you know, that's an interesting point that we have cars that are connected already or that are heavily reliant on, on, you know, sort of like a fly by wire and that electronics that could theoretically be tampered with. Yeah. But that seems pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. There's been research in this a long time. I mean, and, and Tesla is far by not the first thing. I mean, OnStar is this very popular, you know, connected vehicle system that's existed for quite a while um, that's able to unlock your car and turn it off and, you know, things like that. And so that clearly is getting access to the, you know, the networks on the vehicle and what exposure, you know. So a lot of the early research into hacking cars was done on Jeeps. Um, so there, there is a, a history. There's not as much research into this as be night one would like, um, but there is a history of research here. 
When, when uh, you know, using Tesla again as an example, when it's driving, is it's obviously using sensors um, and collecting data and processing itself. Is it referencing data that it previously downloaded a map, um, an extremely detailed map of of a road and conditions? I mean, th- you think you could you could even depending on how quickly you can update your information, uh, if you know that a road that yesterday was fine but today has a lane closure. Um, does that type of data inform autonomous cars or is it really just, you know, what it sees right then and there uh, from its uh, onboard sensors? There, there are really, there's actually really two different approaches. Um, and so the, most of the industry has taken this approach of, uh, as you sort of alluded to, these high-precision digital maps, which map the entire road surface and surrounding things down to, you know, an, an inch or three inches in resolution. So it knows where to expect each pump on the road literally um and so it what it's doing is orientating itself in that map and in some ways it's actually partially driving in this virtual world and just aligning that virtual world to the real world i mean obviously that virtual world doesn't include other vehicles and things and pedestrians and you know uh hazards that that are that are in the road that are not part of the map but and a lot of how it navigates the world is by navigating a virtual world and just making sure that that virtual its position in that virtual world is highly correlated with its position in the real world. Um, Tesla is famously or infamously taking a different approach where they they have a different, you know, they're they're not starting as a robo taxi service where they can say we offer, you know, we offer rides in this closed area and on these roads in these conditions. They want to be able to sell a consumer product that you can take anywhere, and they can't expect to have these digital maps for the world. So they depend on maps for navigation routes in the same way Google Maps would tell you how to drive, but not for uh, actually driving the vehicle. They observe the world and make it work. And I think, you know, um, I'm not sure I've heard them say it this way exactly, but I think they're going with the assumption that we navigate the world with a pair of eyes and are able to drive a car successfully. So we should be able to emulate that in a computer. Do you uh, think that's you think that's the approach that makes most I mean I guess that takes more computing power and better uh, sensors. But we'll see sense? we'll see which which approach wins. I mean well, actually the it takes cheaper sensors to take Tesla's approach. I mean Tesla's approach mm-hmm. is using video cameras only um, uh, versus most of the other cars to get these position in this high position world they're using LIDAR, which is a, a range-finding approach using lasers, but the high-quality light LIDAR sensors they're using costs tens of thousands of dollars. So, you know, Tesla throws on, you know, a, a few hundred dollars in cameras uh, versus $30,000 in LIDAR. So there is a really big approach. But, you know, I, I do want to set a, a pin on something that would be interesting to talk about. So I think there's actually another risk that's really pretty interesting in all this, um, which is that when you look at the the a lot of these cars doing the high precision mapping and how do they update their maps and stuff like that, is the logical thing for these services is where they will have dedicated vehicles to this mapping. Every car is also a big digitizer. You know, when it sees when it sees something with the lidar that's different than what its map says, the logical thing is to upload that data back up to you know the the central hive or whatever to have that process and that knowledge reshared with everybody to keep these maps updated and timely. You can use your fleet 
as a way to maintain your mass once you have a fleet and your initial base mass. But that actually means that all of the car, all of these self-driving cars, in, and in some level, this is good true of the Teslas as well, um, are also big mobile sensing platforms, which are digitizing the world around us constantly. You know, when Tesla wants more examples of an image, they can just update the software and download it to the fleet and say, find the images of this. And the fleet goes and just takes pictures of the world and sends them. So we are a thing that most people aren't thinking about is the fact that we're also building, you know, what, you know, in reality is, is a massive surveillance system in these autonomous cars. Mm -hmm. Now, is it going to be used, you know, to, is the surveillance going to be used to understand the road conditions or is it going to be used in other ways as well? Is, is our, you know, are, is it going to be decided that it's useful to sell, you know, the, every, the location of every license plate you spot, you know, is that another revenue stream these, these companies are going to start to use? Because <laughs> right. it's one that's available to them, right? They absolutely could do that. So I think that's a, that is another, you know, I mean, I, I, I believe it is a, a, a cyber risk in a way that's created by these vehicles rather than imposed on them. Right. So, yes, if you're going to rob a bank, don't take Tesla, take an old, you know, or, or cycle, do motorcycle. Or maybe don't do it when a Tesla's driving by you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's it. That's interesting. I mean, so it could be obviously there are plenty of applications for bad, for hacking, for good. I mean, you could see not just when a road develops a pothole, you could you could understand, you know, the the road as a as a crack forms and sort of have better information if that's a result of a temperature change or an imperfection. Um, but there, there's nothing stopping Tesla from pushing an update that uses face that that includes facial recognition in their thing to look for you personally, Christian. Like every time a Tesla drives by you, it could be recognizing you and sending that back to Tesla. And recording that in their database, and we wow. we have no we have no way of actually knowing. I, I do not. I am. Let me be clear. I'm not claiming they're doing this. I'm not <laughs> claiming they're going to do this. But there's actually no way for us to know if they are. Right. I mean, it sounds like really you should be wearing a tinfoil hat when I go out, which you know the, the day draws near. Um, what, uh, just taking a step back is these uh, Tesla uses LiDAR that doesn't, but other other user, other manufacturers use LiDAR. Is that just much better than GPS as far as figuring out exactly where you are? Well, I mean, LiDAR doesn't tell you where you are. Mm -hmm. LiDAR shows you, tells you, very, gives you a very high precision scan of the environment around you. And so you say, you basically are taking a 3D picture of the world you're in, and then you've got your high precision maps, and you say, I'm using GPS to row roughly where I am. And so now let's use this 3D picture and align that to my 3D maps. And now I know exactly where I am. Hmm. It's like fitting a puzzle piece into the, the, the digital map. It seems like it would be, I mean, so presumably car companies have given this a lot of thought that the updates that they push out, um, you know, the idea as with updates with other computers that that would contain um uh, you know, a hack, a malicious code, whatever, that um, it could happen, but they're on guard for that. It would probably be much easier just to zap all the electronics in a autonomous car and what just have it certainly 
turn into a, a, a dead vehicle coasting to a stop if you were trying to do the most amount of damage and you had proximity just zapping all of the electronics with well, a with the microwave I mean, or a pulse that that may be I, I i don't know i mean i i'm not actually sure that's true right i mean it's mm -hmm. the the cars already are fairly robust against uh you know electromagnetic interference emf especially ice vehicles because they produce so much you know, running those, those spark plugs are little radio emitters, right? They're, we're using that to, to they're, they're wideband radio emitters. And there's all sorts of other things in these vehicles creating lots of um, uh, radio noise. So there's a lot of shielding there already. Um, I mean, there are, have been demonstrations of people stopping cars with these things, but it takes a lot of energy, uh, like a little bit of luck. Where mm -hmm. the thing about it is if you have a hack, you know, it can be very low en energy and very little data. To get the same effect, it requires it's, it's a you know it's more uh, of a surgical procedure versus using a, a sledgehammer that the, the the kind of the the microwave EMF devices would use, but it's mm -hmm. it's certainly something that you can do. And you know, and like you know, for sort of very practical versions of this, you can see there's a you know there's a device called the TV Begone, right, which is a universal remote control that only has the off button <laughs> and so it's a little thing you can have in your cheap keychain and people take these and they go into bars and they don't like the tv on or the restaurant and they just take it out and they press it and it'll turn off the tv and it just goes through each off code for every tv <laughs> in decreasing order of popularity through the entire list until it's off somebody's also made one of these now that works with drones so commercial drones it has the it has a you know a, uh, a, a, a SDR software-defined radio in it, and it knows the power-off codes for all the popular commercial drones. And you just point this thing at, with its directional antenna at the sky, and you pull the trigger, and then the drone falls out of the sky. So, you know, the, these ideas that I think software is actually probably a better approach, you know, and especially given that we have shown no ability to produce secure software and uh, as, a, as a as a race, right? We figured out how to build these really complex systems and shown we have absolutely no idea how to secure them. So, I mean. Yeah, are there you know, facets of, of vulnerability in software that don't apply to cars? It sounds like almost all of them would apply. Ransomware, uh, stealing information to uh, blackmail someone, um, invasions of privacy. Maybe the car doesn't open unless you send Bitcoin to someone, um, or you know, maybe it's more subtle than that and works across a fleet. Um, yeah, if, if you drive this car under 50 miles an hour, it's going to steal all your money from bank accounts? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, uh, speed but, three, right? Or would that be yeah. speed four? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, speed coin, I think. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's certain, yeah, I don't think there are any class of attack which isn't, inter isn't interesting there. Um, you know, maybe some of the, maybe even social engineering, you know? Um, so, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and some of these, you know, GPS attacks have been demonstrated against cars. Like you put a device on a car that uh, people demonstrated academically, but, you know, attack where you can at, stick a device in the back of the car that does GPS spoofing to trick the car into driving, to sending you on the wrong route. Um, because it thinks it's one place and taking one turn when in fact it's taking a different turn. 
it goes, you know, uh, south instead of north because you confuse it about which the with GPS or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think there, there, there's nothing. I mean, you, you know, I'd ask, am, am I taking my life into my hands every time I drive a canard that has so much connectivity? And at some level, yeah, but you know, uh, the, the motivator, the attackers don't seem motivated to burn their attacks that way. And you know, driving a car is the most dangerous thing you do every day, anyhow. Yeah, very true. Um, taking a quick step back with GPS, so my layman's understanding is you have a bunch of satellites um, and they all have atomic clocks, so they all know what time it is. They send a signal at the same time and your GPS receiver can sense a little bit of difference in when those signals arrive. It knows where the satellites are and therefore can figure out exactly where it is um, yeah. based well, the, on the, that. The, the satellites know where they are mm-hmm. and they transmit their their position roughly speaking, I'm not speaking technically here, and your receiver then uses, uh, I believe it's using Doppler shift uh, to figure out how quickly it's moving towards you. And from that, you can figure out how far away it is from you. Uh, uh, it may just be the timing difference. I forget which of those two properties it uses. Uh, and so you're able to, with, you need, you know, four satellites to fix a point in three space you'd think you'd need two or three rather um, mm-hmm. but you use the fourth as your reference clock because you need you would need a, a atomic clock on your gps receiver um to calculate differences but instead you use an additional satellite so huh. you use one of the satellites as your reference clock and then you use the uh, differential timing from the other clocks to figure out how far away you are from them and then triangulate using that their position to where yours is I see. And to spoof that, basically, you could introduce a signal that looks like it's a satellite, but is in fact is something that's sitting on your bumper that someone has put there, or is in proximity yeah, or, to you, or, or, or interferes with the signal just appropriate, just correctly. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looks like another satellite retransmits the signal. There's a lot of different ways you could do it, and there are off-the-shelf uh, GPS spoofers and jammers that you can purchase. Now, between um, that and the TV turner offer you said, and I had a family friend who used to have something. She really hated it when a plane would land before you get off and people would make calls and she would judge whether the calls are appropriate and necessary or not. And she would have something to zap phones. <laughs> and I was always expecting a black suburban with FCC written on the side to pull up and a bunch of men and uh, dark glasses, you know, grab her, throw her in the back. And that's the last we'd ever see of her. Um with because uh, I assume all of these things are, are illegal, but of course, hacking is illegal too, right? So, uh, you know, the laws uh, aren't so, really so is, so is jaywalking. <laughs> um, so it seems, I mean, there are a lot of things we, we could unpack further, but conceptually, um, you know, there is a world of risk that a lot of the risks we see elsewhere in computing, broadly defined networking, networks, um, sensors uh, could apply to cars, but. They really do. I mean, that obviously car companies are recognizing perhaps more than just your average bare software company of the need for security. So that's one way to look at it. The other thing, too, is, as you point out, just the amount of data that possibly could be absorbed from all of these sensors, which are going to mushroom, that at some point we may need to get a better handle as a society on what people are allowed to collect and use. Because currently it's kind of just a wild west out there. Is that a, a right way to look at it? Yeah, I think the, the, the regulations on collecting data in public are 
are fairly outdated, right? I mean, I think we have a general reasonable principle that if you're in public, you have no right to privacy. But we don't, you know, we all our ideas and laws came before the idea that you could collect everything all the time. So how do we have to think about privacy rights in a with the real possibility of omnipresent continuous surveillance versus, you know, you're just out there, you know, it's it's one thing is if somebody has to follow you down the street. It's one thing it's versus uh, somebody know, follows everybody down the street all the time. And, you know, we're getting to see uh, the very dystopian versions of this. You know, China is, uh, is it, and I've never, the, the Uyghur people uh, that they're oppressing there, they're uh, demonstrating very effectively how these technologies can be deployed against the population to monitor and control them. You know, where they, they have demonstrations of doing independent agent tracking through large crowds and they're deploying these technologies for real. We don't have to, we, they're running a lab tech for, for this kind of, you know, panoptic, you know, digital panopticon. Uh, and, and though once that technology works again, there's nothing stopping us from bringing it back and putting it in commercial vehicles that have cameras for other reasons. So it's a, Exciting time. <laughs> it is. There's a Wall Street Journal report about how spying has gotten more difficult. You know, we rely as a country on official cover people. So that's often CIA officers posing as diplomats. They work out of our embassies abroad. The upside of that is they have diplomatic immunity. So if they get uncovered as a spy, the worst that happens typically is they get sent home. If they didn't have that immunity, they could go to jail for a very long time or they could lose their life. Um, the problem is, is that, uh, so, you know, they have to go out and meet sources. There have always historically been under intense surveillance, especially in police states. Um, and it's gotten worse actually, but apparently in places like Russia, they're no longer physically followed in an obvious way because, um, people just watch their phones. And of course, it's, they say, well, why don't they just leave their phone back in the office? I mean, nothing is a more obvious signal that you're up to something unusual if typically you have a phone and then suddenly you don't. I mean, you might as well be wearing a banner that says, I'm going to meet my, my source to conduct espionage. Um, and you know, then, of course, it turns into a different cat and mouse game where apparently you can spoof your phone. So it looks like you're somewhere else. Uh, you know, the, the possibilities um, for mischief seem to be endless. Absolutely. All right. Well, anything else on, uh, you know, uh, I think we could delve into future facets um, in the future, but anything else on, on electric car security uh, at the top of your mind? Well, I, mean, I, think, I don't think it's particular to electric cars, it's connected mm-hmm. cars and autonomous mm-hmm. cars, which are predate electric cars. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, I don't think so. I mean, I think you, one area we didn't really dive into is the supply chain security of the, the thought over the air updates which are, are becoming popular. Um, but uh, I, I think, again, that's not really different than what we see in, in the rest of the world. And I think the difference is really consequences. You know, uh, it, there's a big difference between crashing the car and crashing the hard drive. And so the goal really should be to align those consequences to be at the same risk so that you focus your security efforts on the, you know, safety of the people in and around the vehicle rather than on the availability of the vehicle. 
Well, maybe we could uh, finish on um, one of the supply chain issues that often comes up, which is the involvement of China. Um, and I assume, um, you know, uh, consistent with general export controls and import controls on semiconductors that um, a lot of Chinese semiconductors hopefully are not making the way making their way into um, some of these autonomous vehicles. But is that true? And then sort of a separate but related issue is do you think China is equal to in a competitive situation or ahead of us in autonomous vehicles? Or do you think the United States is, is, is ahead? Well, I'll answer the second one first. I don't mm-hmm. really know. They're certainly putting more fully autonomous vehicles on the road. I don't know whether that's because they're ahead or they're less risk averse. Um, so, but they're certainly competing. Um, in terms of the supply chain, uh, I think you know the large processors that are doing the logic are not going to be developed in China because they don't have the process technology to produce those things. They they are they do not have domestic high quality domestic lithography. Um, mm. And they are and those the mirrors and lenses and machine even the mirrors and lenses themselves are they don't have access to uh, those are largely produced by Carl Zeiss um, <laughs> and uh, there may be other manufacturers but they're one of the big players there um, and then the in fact lithographic machines are they also don't have access to so they're actually one of their you know sort of political challenges is that they are dependent on other nations for advanced semiconductors. So uh, in terms of those, you know, large semiconductors that are doing the inferencing and and stuff in the autonomous vehicles, we're not getting the parts from them. Um, But, you know, the, we put a lot of ICs in cars and which of those (laughs) are, you know, critical to the security. And there are lots of other areas where we might, there might be interesting leopards those ICs could have. And we know just from looking at the number of fraudulent ICs that appear in the supply chain, that that supply chain is not secure. And so I, I don't know those risks. I don't know how vehicle manufacturers are trying to mitigate those risks. I think, you know, the integrated manufacturers like Tesla probably have a better handle on it than traditional manufacturers, which use the, the large, you know, uh, ODM network of device manufacturers and very deep and complex supply chain, that's probably a whole lot harder to secure than if you own the whole thing. Um, because you've got to check it and check, recheck it at every level. You know, the, the vertically integrated, you check the, the base parts coming in that you have to get, and then you, it's all internal after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess, so I guess the answer to that is the big parts China's not producing anyway, the small parts, I don't know how we secure those. I'm going to take that as a glass half full answer. And that's a pretty (laughs) optimistic one to end on. So uh, the reality is we live in an amazing world where cars are becoming more autonomous. Fewer people will be killed. Uh, We can take a nap on the way to work when we finally go back to offices. So, uh, but uh, as, as with so much of connectivity in our world, there are challenges out there. That's all the time we have for this episode of Cyber Context. That was Jonathan Moore, the Chief Technology Officer of Spider Oak. I'm Christian Whiten. Uh, We'll be back again soon with another episode. Thanks.